The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. Uh, during the meditation, the uh, at least for me, the feeling of uh, Sangha was really palpable in this room. And I just felt a lot of connection with everyone. I know very few of the few of the people in the room, but that didn't seem to make a difference. Um, welcome to, to our Sunday night weekly practice group. And I want to acknowledge uh, I guess that's why this feeling of Sangha, your good intention, everybody that showed up here, we're all here on, engaged in the path of spiritual growth of one sort or another, and in that sense, we're all good friends. Okay, uh, now I have to deal with the talk. Uh, my, oh, I should introduce myself. My name is Craig Vollmer. Uh, I began my practice in Soto Zen, and in uh, August of 1993, I received Jukai, or the lay precepts in the and that tradition ceremony. Um, and the, the teacher that I found there was, uh, his name is Shuhaku Akamura. But he left town, um, I'm not sure when, 95 or something like that. And <clears throat> went out to um, Los Angeles and San Francisco. And then in the last, I don't know, several years, 10 years, he opened up his own center in Bloomington, Indiana. So when he left town, uh, a few of us in that tradition you know, tried to meet once in a month, but that didn't work very good for most of us. And so I, I had come to Common Ground a couple of times. And uh, so I was looking for a place, and I went to Common Ground and their Mark and Wynn's home. And I really liked it. And after a while, I thought, well, I need to volunteer to do something here. I'm getting a lot out of it. And I knew that the newsletter mailing was coming up, so I called up with the intention to volunteer to stuff the letters for the newsletter and mailing. I called, and Mark answered the phone, and I said my name, and he knew who I was. And I said, well, I'm calling to volunteer, Mark. I'm enjoying and he said, you're a lawyer, aren't you? 
I've been down that road a couple times, and uh, I didn't want to do that again. But I did, and uh, very fortunate. Uh, I got acquainted with people on the steering committee, and I, I really, very dear friends of mine. And we became the first uh, board of directors for a common crown. And I was the first one to quit on the board. <laughs> uh, let's see. Okay, so I got a call from Mark about a month ago and asked if I would give a talk. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And then he said right away, oh, well, we'd like to know the title for your talk. <laughs> you know, And he said, but there's no hurry. You can send it to Shelley tomorrow if you want. <laughs> and anyway, so I was, I was searching for a title, and uh, the title I came up with is Embracing the Five Hindrances. And uh, so the reason that one popped up in my mind was because um, I, I had a bad disease, I had pancreatic cancer, and in 2010 received a lot of treatments and couldn't do much, and so I was getting my strength back last year, and uh, feeling pretty good, <clears throat> and so, and, but I wasn't able to go on any retreats, and but, uh, they had announced that they were doing this intensive practice in December, and I thought, well, I could do that. And I did, and I really enjoyed that. And I'm, I'm making an announcement. I'm cutting in on your time, Tricia. But Mark is going to do another one of those practices in June, if any of you are interested. Keep your eyes open for that. And then, um, so when that was over, I'd never done the Monday Night Buddha Studies class. I thought, yeah, I'd like to do that and get into this a little more. And it was on the five spiritual faculties, and it was really good. It was for two months, and that was January and February, and I was looking forward to the one coming out in March, and then on the newsletter said it was the five hindrances, and I thought, oh, God, I know all I want to know about the five hindrances. I'm not going to do that. So anyway, uh, I changed my mind about that. I signed up for the five hindrances. It was seven weeks, very wonderful practice. And it turns out I didn't know as much about the five hindrances as I thought. So um, I just scratched the surface through this course. And, and that's what I want to share with you tonight. Not that I know so much about it, but I find that I want to talk about the things that I'm trying to learn. It may be a little bit unfair to people that listen, but I hope you'll get something out of it. The scope uh, of my talk is what we encounter in our ordinary, everyday lives as lay people. There's an element in the five hindrances having to do with monks and those seeking nirvana. But I, I just want to talk about 
our ordinary lives as lay people. You know, I got enough more to work with. The the five hindrances are commonly termed sensual desire, ill will, sloth, restlessness, and skeptical doubt. So it's sensory or sensual desire, ill will or aversion, sloth, laziness, restlessness, fidgetiness, wanting to get on to the next thing, and then doubt. Doubt that you're doing the right thing. Doubt that this is practice is worthwhile. In the teachings, uh, there are hindrances. They're also called called obstacles that not only encumber mindfulness practice, but they keep us locked in the cycle of suffering, the cycle of samsara. And most importantly, they distract us from developing spiritual growth and transforming our lives. These hindrances block us, keep us from transforming our lives to be the kind of man or woman we'd like to be but that we keep falling short of. If we, in part of this teachings, uh, you know, if my take on it is, if we think we're an angry person, we tend to live as an angry person. If we think we're a victim, we tend to act like we are a victim. We get wired in to these hindrances. Uh, I want to talk about the qualities of the hindrances. A sensual desire consists simply of objects of the mind. I guess that's through all the hindrances. And uh, uh, Joseph Goldstein is a well-known teacher at IMS, Forest Refuge and Round, and Mark says that Joseph is one of his teachers. And uh, I have listened to recorded talks of his, and he was mentioning about the persistence of uh, essential desire on retreat, especially on retreat. And his was a cup of tea. And, you know, he would be sitting and be pretty mindful and calm. Oh, a cup of tea would be nice. <laughs> and then later on, pop up again, cup of tea. <laughs> cup of tea. <laughs> you know, 
it was pretty funny the way he told it, I thought. Um, uh, and it's entirely believable, too, you know, if you've been on retreat, and not necessarily a cup of tea, you know, maybe it's cold beer, you know. It, it, actually, some of the people, or at least one of the persons that listened to this talk was a little miffed because he, he made it sound like he was so good that that was the worst thing he could think of. But <laughs> I don't think that's what it's meant at all. But, it, but, um, but it's the, the sensual desire is very persistent. Whether it's have a cup of tea, anything, to find something of interest to do. In another one of his talks, Joseph likens sensual desire to what he calls catalog consciousness. And the catalogs he's talking to, and this talk may be a little bit dated, is the kind of catalog you get in the mail, you know, and he would say, and now you can do this online, but you... Uh, you just flip through the pages and you're looking for something that you want. You don't have anything specific in mind, but you're just hoping to find something that seems good to you. Now, has anybody ever done that? Am I the only one? But, but uh, it sounds like Joseph had done it. Hoping to find something you want. And the other thing is, the more often that we participate in this sort of action, the stronger that that becomes, that that habit becomes. Now, this is another story on himself, which I think is pretty important. It was occurred during a long retreat that he was on in Burma. He did a long retreat. I suppose it was 90 days or more. I don't know what a long retreat is for him. Two days long retreat for me. Um, he said his mind was settled. And he, he liked to be analytical and he was investigating. And his teacher admonished him for being too attached to subtlety. He was investigating many intricate aspects of practice which he thought was useful. But his teacher was admonishing him to be careful and giving in to this desire for this in-depth analytical approach. And with his teacher's help, he, Joseph, says he was able to realize his mind was addicted to investigation, and here's the key point, and that he was out of balance. Not saying investigation's bad, but it's being so 
addicted that you get out of balance. The, and in connection with this, the Buddha warns that because the suffering caused by ill will, now getting off into another area, because that type of suffering is so painful and that we recognize it so easily that the term that the Buddha uses is that that is easily uprooted. But sense desire being less painful, and I would add at least in the beginning, becomes deeply rooted and therefore it's harder to uproot. You see, if it's ill will or laziness, something like that, we know what the consequences are. I know what the consequences are for me getting angry with somebody. I know that through my own experience, not from reading that in a book. And and I and that also was addictive for me. But the other more subtle thing, and, and that that you you know you you feel bad pretty quick with something like anger or hostility. But with the more subtle things of uh, here. I really want to watch this television program. That's, that's pretty pleasant. I think I'll do that. And and it may be that there's something else that I should be doing. But that doesn't seem, okay, well, I'll get to that later or something. It doesn't seem quite so bad. Maybe like the cold beer. Okay, I'll have cold beer. But people do develop addictions to alcohol. And I've heard their stories. And they say in the beginning, alcohol is their friend. It makes them feel better. But then, as they get addicted to it, it becomes their worst enemy. Now, our stuff might not be quite that dramatic. But, but I, I think we should pay attention to what the Buddha is saying, that because the, 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 um, the repugnance of it isn't quite so strong, the roots grow deeper. And, and once the habits are ingrained like that, they're hard to break. I want to tell a story. A friend of mine, oh, a month or so ago, told the story that he always saw himself as an angry man. And he's a pretty big guy, you know. And he was mad all the time. And he was angry. And, you know, if you mess with him, you better be prepared for trouble, is what he would say. 
and um, that's pretty good, built on him. And he said this one day, he was standing in line for something, somebody bumped into him pretty hard from behind, and he whirled around, you know, he was ready to go, saw this great big guy with all these muscles looking really mean, and he said, I realized I'm not an angry man. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, um, that is sometimes how it is. He had a queer, changed his whole life like that. He didn't want it. He didn't want it that bad. And, and, but I think that story kind of illustrates other ways that we can deal with our, our harmful habitual patterns. Even though there's a uh, they're more subtle as a consequence of subtle. Sloth. In, in meditation practice, uh, it was described as a sort of sluggishness that may accompany discontent, boredom, lethargy from overeating or depression. Subtle forms of sloth lead to complacency, sapping the vigor from our practice. Um, an antidote for that, when I, when I have to face that, when I do, when I, when I become aware of it, I just make myself sit upright more, and and I, I put a little more effort into the practice. And by sitting upright, it just naturally supports the focus of my mind. And a, a second thing to help with the hindrances is to remember remember the consequences when we've given in to whichever one, whether it's sloth or restlessness, something like that. And, and, and I have a story about that, too. Santa uh, Carl was here and was put, put on a day-long workshop. And uh, I can't remember what the subject matter is, but it was really good. And so we were going to... Uh, we were sent out to do something during the lunch break, and when we got back, we had to tell them what our most predominant, um, what the most predominant thing was in our brain there during the break. And so when it was my turn, I said, "Oh, I just really wanted to get out of here. I wanted to go home." And he was saying, "Karen." He looked at me, and very, I mean, not judgmentally at all, I said, well, why didn't you go, you know? I mean, like that was the most normal thing in the world. And, and this is the consequences of the past, and I said, because I had done that, 
a month or so before. I was on a day-long retreat with Mark, and and at noontime I went into Mark's office and said, Mark, I have to go home. And he said, oh, well, thanks for telling me, and I took off. So I told uh, Santa Cara, I said, well, I had done this before you know, two months ago, and what I found out was when I got home, I didn't want to be there either. <laughs> well, I mean, that happens. Sometimes you just don't want to be anywhere. And, and, and that's, you know, that's part of anatta, isn't it? Or of self. And, and, um, and, and because I, because I known that had happened to me before, I knew it was a false thing for me to leave. I knew I'd, I'd rather stay there and see what he had to do in the afternoon more than I wanted to go home. So if you can remember the results of what happened when you've given in in the past, it, it might help you. Uh, the other one about restlessness and fidgeting and scratching your nose and all that stuff. Uh, one, I have a lot of trouble with that. And one thing that's helped me a little bit, especially in the winter when it's dark early in the morning, is I burn a stick of incense and I just stare on that sucker. You know, I just concentrate on one thing, and I get really interested in the in the in just a little coal on the end of the incense, and it really is interesting. You wouldn't think it would be, but it is. And and. So concentrating on a single subject and becoming interested in it might help with restlessness. And then also, there's a benefit from surrender. And when uh, Shohaku was in town, he did this really difficult uh, retreat, uh, at least I thought it was difficult, uh, set for 14 hours a day without moving for five days. and. You get 10 minutes an hour to get up and walk around. There's no talking the whole five days. The teacher didn't talk. You don't talk. Nobody talks. Uh, you set face on the wall. And, and, I, and I could never do that. And, and I would always fight it when I was on the retreat. My leg would hurt. It would hurt right here, right in my left knee. And I'd be waiting for the bell to ring. And really wanted a bell turn. That dumb guy has fallen asleep and he's not going to, you know. Just, <laughs> oh, I was an angry man. And um, so, um, it was the third day, the third afternoon, and, and finally uh, the thought occurred to me, I can't do it. I can't, I can't make it to when the bell sounds. I can't make it by my own willpower. You see, I was operating on willpower to just endure it because I wasn't supposed to move. I just surrendered. And it was the most amazing thing. I told this to one of my friends on the retreat afterwards, and she just, her mouth dropped open. Uh, and I said, and she said, well, did the pain go away? Oh, no. I said, there was still pain, but it wasn't my pain. 
and 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 I, I don't know how better to to describe that. But if you kind of give up on on willpower on some of this stuff, just give into it and and do it anyway. It opens up. It's free. It's liberating. Doubt, I should mention that. Doubt is often present as a wavering or as indecision. And then Sherry Maples put on a day-long retreat uh, here less than a month ago, I think, and, and she said uh, doubt arises. I wonder if I got this wrong. Maybe she said about something now. She says it arises from a lack of desire to concentrate or think. And don't you ever have that? You, you know, the Buddha is, is really urged urged his monks, you know, to memorize my teachings. To, do this, to do that, to work, I mean, very specific details to, to people, to all the people that were learning from him. And so it was a lot of work. And sometimes you don't want to go through that work. Well, I think I've lost the thread here. Um, okay. Embracing as a way to work with hindrances. Okay, I began by saying the title for the talk was Embracing the Hindrances. Well, when you think of the names of the hindrances, sensual desire, uh, ill will, sloth, restlessness, uh, they're all kind of negative things, really. I mean, you wouldn't want those things, right? And, and, and so, uh, how do I put embracing these things I don't want? And I think it's a good way to work with them. I think it's a better way than repression. Uh, Ajahn Tomato. Uh, wrote the book, The Mind and the Way, that probably seen here at Common Ground quite a bit. And uh, it's the Sunflower book, the book with the pictures of the sunflowers on it. And it's a collection of his lectures to his uh, Sangha in the United Kingdom. And he says that um, the most important thing in, in meditation is not technique. It's attitude. So, since I hold him in high esteem, I think, well, what's the best attitude to working with these hindrances that I have? And I'd invite you to consider what is your best attitude to working with these hindrances that bother you. And I just came up with embracing them. 
my old friend. There you are again. Embrace my weaknesses and shortcomings. These otherwise negative qualities that limit my practice and my growth. And doesn't Mark give us that advice all the time? Doesn't Mark tell us to ask, can this be okay? Can this be okay? In another place in his book, Tomato has asked a question regarding, he gave a, a talk on the third noble truth, the cessation of suffering. And so what this book is, is just his talk and then questions of people in the Sangha ask him and his answer. And so he talked about the cessation of suffering. And the question that I liked was, uh, he was asked, when you say the cessation of suffering, are you speaking of physical suffering or mental suffering? And I stopped reading and I thought, what a good question. Hmm. I wonder how he's going to answer this. And his answer surprised me. It was much better than I could think of. He said, when I say the end of suffering, I'm talking about the suffering you create for yourself. And that's what the hindrances do. By holding on to these hindrances, to practicing these hindrances, whether it's looking for something we want uh, in the TV guide or, I don't know, after the coffee shop. Um, as we practice these hindrances, then they grow stronger and we create what's going to what is suffering from our for ourselves because it blocks us from a freedom that maybe we've tasted or maybe we haven't tasted. You know, it, 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 it was like me learning how much better it is to be a kind man to the people I'm around than to be a grouch and a fault finder. It's just, I'm so much happier. And, and that's what Tomato was saying. I'm, I'm talking about the suffering you create for yourself. So pay attention to these hindrances. <coughs> oh, and there's one other antidote that Joseph Goldstein mentioned in, in his talk uh, of a way of dealing with the hindrances. talks of it as a guidance for balancing acceptance with the wisdom of no. That's his term. The wisdom of no. 
cup of tea? No, not now. <laughs> Whatever. Cold beer? No, not now. And when I when I first uh, heard him say that, the wisdom of no, I thought of Nancy Reagan. <laughs> Just say no. I thought that wasn't very good a thought, but no. <laughs> but 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 Joseph is saying that. balance, acceptance, embracing with. If that doesn't work, the wisdom of no. I'm not going down that path again. That's what the Buddha teaches. That's what Thich Han teaches. The, the more you feed, a, a, the more you engage in a pattern of action, the stronger it's going to get. And if you renounce that action and you refuse to go down that path, it's going to get weaker. It's really simple and it makes sense. I have not been on, on, on changing topics a little bit. just want to tell a little story of my recent retreat. I had not been on a residential retreat since my cancer surgery nearly three years ago, and I was somewhat apprehensive because of the digestion problems I have as to how that would be. And so I, I got you know, a special room, and I in the meditation room. This is down at Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you have been there. And and uh, I think we start like at 6 in the morning or something like that. Not too early. And, but I got a cushion right next to the door because I have these digestive problems. I thought if they acted up, I wanted to be able to get out the door. It would be disturbing to the people next to me. And so, uh, that first night we sit there and, and, and Mark talks to us. So in the morning I come back from the morning set and you know, I'm all teed up for the retreat. I've done all these practices. I had my momentum going good. And, and in the dark that morning I hear a voice in my ear. Mark's way over that side of the room. I'm over by the door. Huh? Huh? It's Mark. And he says, You're breathing really loud. <laughs> yeah. I'm falling asleep and I'm snoring. <laughs> My stomach was fine. <laughs> it wasn't bothering anybody. Hey, and, and, you know. I, I, I said, oh, thank you, and um, and, and then in the, the way he sets up a retreat, we break in small groups in the middle of the day, and I just had to talk about all my bad habit energies here. There's a difference between being in a retreat and being at home, and um, and and I did that pretty much throughout the retreat. I could share with people, you know, all the shortcomings that were happening for me at retreat, and that was fine. You know, that's just the way it is. 
And I recall Mark saying, you know, sometimes the best response to things that come up within us uh, is just to laugh at them. Just to laugh at them and, you know, uh, just kind of diffuse the situation and move on as best we can. I, I'm a great believer in TV's uh, Mr. Rogers. You know, he likes you just the way you are, and he says, you know, doing the best you can may not seem like enough, like me falling asleep, but doing the best you can is all you should expect of yourself or anybody else, and that anybody else is so important, you know. So here in the Sangha, earlier tonight, I saw we're all together and we're all doing the best we can. And that's just a wonderful feeling that we can get that that support from each other. As a layman, the heart of my practice is Siva, morality, ethics, the five precepts of non-harming. And we can bring that practice as well to helping us work with the hindrances. Also, we can use other chants that we perform here at Common Ground. The Four Corners chant, you know, I will abide. The uh, Taking Refuge chant and the Meta chant, for example, and these practices can help us. We can get that online. The chant book is online and you can get that and when you're working with your hindrances you can use those. We each have our own stories concerning certain of the hindrances. You know, and, and the Buddha always taught, you know, that his, his teachings are simply principles that guide us to the way of freedom. And so we follow these guides as best we can. But he made it clear, you know, you got to do this walk yourself. He can't do it for you. So as, as we fixate on our stories to explain why we have this hindrance, I just urge you, you don't have to discard it. But just say perhaps. Begin to loosen your grip on it a little bit. And particularly to think of your story in the terms, well, what about now? Is that story as true as it was when I was 30 years old as it is now? Isn't that in the past? Maybe I can let go of that just a little bit and move on. So uh, that's basically what I have to say tonight, and it's time for uh, your comments or observations or, or questions, anything you'd like, or we can sit here quietly if we'd like to. We have about 10 minutes for that.
Oh, yes. Or, um, just at the very end, what you were saying about, about this reminded me also of Mark, or Steve Armstrong says a lot in the trees. When you go and talk to them, how much, I'm having so much restless and what's the problem with that? It's the idea that there's a problem with it. So it's kind of the embracing part for me is the letting go of the fact that it's a problem. Um, and then and then being able to deal with you know, maybe not being restless. Which is more like a renunciation. So it seems like this paradox, you're embracing and renouncing, but embracing it and then, then what happens so when Steve tells you that and you go back and and maybe sometime restlessness comes up again and then, then what happens if, if you remember and not to turn it into a problem what happens with the restlessness uh, well I think probably the same thing that happened with you is that it, it becomes not personal. So, I mean, so be a little restless, more of an example way. But it's a little more amusing. Yeah. And, and interesting. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes a little too interesting, like you were saying, but she's being a little too inquisitive about it. But, um, yeah, it opens. Yeah. It opens to freedom. Yeah. Thank you, Lori. I like that kind of question. Uh, yeah, I'll say your name for you. I remember, I was in the hindrance of Buddha studies too, and I, I remember being shocked by what Mark said, and he said, to let it bloom, you know, like if you want something, something like you want, like for me, it's like a chocolate chip cookie or, you know, something like And instead of saying, you know, oh, you know, somehow, you know, get rid of it or push it away, allow it to have all its energy. And that was the last thing I did, that I've ever done with something like that. Yeah. But to let it have its space and it will float away. You know, it should just allow it, accept it. Can you give an example of that then sometime when, when, when something like that came up and then you remembered Mark's? Uh, Many times a day. <laughs> <laughs> and? And it does float away. Oh. Yeah. And it's the last, it's the last inclination I would follow. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> uh, I must have been asleep when he said that. I think <laughs> Thanks, Liz. That was, that's, that's really good to hear. Both of, both of these uh, things. That's a lot of... It's a great sangha. <laughs> There's a lot of wisdom in that sangha.
John? Thank you, John. I appreciate that. Some some of the humor isn't intended humor. <laughs> <laughs> But um, 
you just want, you just don't know. Uh, if you'll be able to do it in a year from now. None of us know that. So it's a kind of a wholesome way is, is to figure out, well, really what's important to me and then to make effort to do that as best you can. And of course, you won't do it perfectly. Nobody ever has. We're humans. I guess we have time for one more comment. Yes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.